With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. another episode of the lakers fast break podcast it's gerald glassford come right back at you here from lakers fast break pop culture cosmos where we cover the latest news and trends in pop culture each and every week twice a week where we get your podcast and on our latest episode john orlando for the pvd cast and i go over our usual monthly state of pro wrestling for october this time around we talk a lot of great things about aew wwe and so much more so check that out today also, as well, Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Don't forget, we've got another Inside Sports Fantasy Football coming up later this week as Chris Sardieri and I go ahead and cover what's going on in the NFL at ISFF. Also, as well, of course, Joe Soro. Not sure if he's going to make it because I know he's been doing some great work for Simblades, his company, Simblades with a Y.com. But you know, he's always talking smack as Ox1947 and, of course, LakersBall.com. I wanted to go ahead and make sure that everybody knows about our good friends, Laker Tom, the number one Lakers blogger that's out there. And we were having great discussions this past weekend on his Twitter account. So we'll go ahead and just say, if you want to follow him, go right ahead. He may even follow you back as well, but go ahead and check him out today at Lakerholics.com along with our good friend, Jamie Sweet, Lakerholics.com. Also as well, big shout out to Empire Jeff TV. Empire Jeff had on a great show last night talking more into depth on the Drew Holiday trade. So go ahead and check out and subscribe to him and our good friend John McCallion, who had a stream as well, talking about his continued weight loss. And he's looking forward to going ahead and try and hit those target goals. So go ahead and check out the great conversation that he has as well on YouTube. And speaking of YouTube, you see the little Joe, the little Joe on the right hand corner of your screen. Go ahead and click on it today to get the latest notifications on when we go live with the latest Lakers Fast Break podcast. Well, I'll tell you what, our NBA observations of all 30 NBA teams is coming coming near to an end with uh, our last two final official tours of the NBA coming right here. Well, of course, we're going to have one of the Lakers, but we always save that one for right before the season. But you already know a great deal of our thoughts on the Lakers already but today is a team that always 
is really exciting to talk about because they have such a bright future. They have so many great young players, a lot of young talent, and like five gazillion trout, you know, draft picks that that I think you know Sam Presti I think has to choose. I, I don't even know if he has enough room on the whiteboard to go ahead and list all the draft picks that he has. But here today, good man indeed. You got to go ahead and check him out today at Thunderous Intentions right there for you at thunderousintentions.com. It is, of course, Braxton Reynolds. Braxton, great to have you here. Looking forward to a great conversation on not only what is now, but what's in the future upcoming for the OKC Thunder. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Oh, just great conversation. I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I know there's there's a, just such a bright future. I mean, you guys have just got basically of any team out there that has assets and has draft picks going forward and also great players who play right now, a.k.a. SGA, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who is, again, as he was last season, this season is a good shot and a money favorite to be, well, right up there, to be a possible MVP candidate. So definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts on that. That's the first question I have before I turn it over to the magic man. Your thoughts on SGA. He has done such a great job in building himself up, improving year upon year upon year into a top five MVP candidate last year. Do you think he's at his peak or do you think he can even get much better? Because I think the sky's the limit with this kid. Well, it's hard to say someone's near their peak when they're not even shooting threes at a high rate and they're a guard. So that's definitely an element he can add to his game already. But, you know, he's one of the best in the league at drives. His contact balance is insane. He somehow keeps his feet. He draws free throws. And it's pretty unstoppable for defenders because, you know, he's not your typical six foot three guard. He is six foot six, seven foot wingspan. That is shooting guard, small forward territory. And you're talking about a primary ball handler. So it's pretty hard for defenders to stop him there. And, you know, he maintains his balance on drives. And when he does draw contact, he's making free throws. He's a 90% free throw shooter, which, you know, when you think about it, the NBA discovered threes were more than twos a while ago. But if you look at free throws, you know, a 50% three-point shooter is equal to a 75% free throw shooter, which is, you know, league average maybe, a little less than league average. So free throws are incredibly valuable. And the way he draws them, he's going to be top of the league in scoring pretty much here on out for the next few years. Um, Defensively, one of the best guards in deflections, he's really hard to get around because he maintains his balance. He can go laterally. So he's a two-way player. Well, we have to see whether he's a number one on a championship team. He has to prove that. But Overall, I think he definitely has a talent to be that. I'll tell you what, though, the sky's the limit for the kid. I think you're right, just absolutely. You, he's not even hitting threes efficiently yet. And so once he's able to do that, watch out. Oh, my gosh. And it's going to come at the right time because I'm sure at some point in time, Sam Presti is going to put all those chips onto the table for a big trade at some point in time because he could throw – 
literally, you know, whatever the limit is on draft picks, you know, as far as at a team that wants to get rid of their superstar. But also here today, good man indeed. It is the magic man, Sean Grice, the madman from Toronto. He did get out of Toronto traffic to talk to Braxton Reynolds today. And magic man, good to have you here, my friend. Any questions first off for Mr. Braxton Reynolds? Yeah, absolutely. Braxton, first of all, thanks for uh, coming on the show. And uh, I had a chance to check out your work, and it, it's really good, man. I greatly appreciate your time. Uh, my question is about the roster. So last season, uh, Mark Dagnalt played 13 guys at least 15 minutes or more, everyone from SGA down to Trey Mann. Now, this season, they're bringing in three impact players already, Kassan Wallace, Vasily Micic, and they're also, we're going to see Chet Holmgren finally. We're finally going to see Chet Holmgren play. So it's it's almost an embarrassment of riches, but at the same time, I, I kind of see it as a catch-22 because they're going to have to either slice or shave minutes off other quality players who have played well. How do you see it? How do you see this working out, Braxton? Because there are rumors that, you know, both Trey Mann and uh, Jeremiah uh, Robinson Earl are fighting for that last spot. That's kind of the whispers. How do you see the roster shaking out? And, like, where do you see Michich and Wallace and Chet actually fitting into this rotation? Because we know that Poku is going to miss time because of his ankle. And they need to find something for, for Chet, right? Yeah, well, the alarm bells are ringing already because they have 18 on the roster. They got to get to 15 by opening night. So I think, you know, it comes down to five people for me who might be cut or traded. It'd be Jack White, be Trey Mann, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Victor Oladipo, um, and then Poku, which, I mean, I don't see Poku being cut, but it's a possibility. Um, oh boy. we'll take him we'll take him that'd be tough that'd be tough that'd be tough to it's, cut it's him it's hard for you know tall centers and forwards to have injuries and really kind of get a chance but you know i think presti's too attached to him at this point um oladipo you know he has a nine million expiring contract presti didn't just get that in a salary dump he wants to use that for a trade piece because you have him and vertans add up to 26 million, roughly. That's a big number for matching salary. So I think Oladipo makes the final cut. Unfortunately, I don't think there's a place for Trey Mann or Robinson Earl on the roster. I mean, small guards that really can't defend and are not efficient. It just doesn't fit OKC basketball. And, you know, he could get there one day, but not on this roster. He's not going to have the time. And then, you know, for the rest of the roster, I think, Misich has to play. He's very good, Euroleague star, veteran, and he brings kind of, you know, a shot quality kind of like standpoint to the bench where they were kind of running kind of wild last year and not really getting good shots, although they were making them at a decent rate. You know, he's going to stabilize this bench along with Wallace, who really did a good job leading Kentucky last year. So those two are going to be a big factor on this bench. I think the person for me that I'm nervous for is Usman Jang. He has, you know, the sky is the limit for him. And I'm not sure he's going to get enough minutes to really develop that where he's good in the near future. 
it might take a little bit, but um, you know, Jang definitely needs some minutes. Overall, I think he's going to experiment. You know, Mark's an experimenter. He wants to find the right roster right now, but he also wants to look to the future and see, you know, maybe this guy's not it right now, but he might be in two years. So we got to play him. It's going to be um, definitely no lineup set in stone besides the starting lineup at this point. Obviously, the major thing coming out of this season, you know, what has to be done is the progress in his first official season for Chet Holmgren. You know, I know that that he's had a year to work behind the scenes, getting himself back to good health. Hopefully he'll maintain that good health going forward because he provides so many different dynamics, not just on the offensive end, but the defensive end as well. Your thoughts, though, on Chet's progress this first, how, how much the, let's just put it this way, how much are the expectations for Chet if, you know, like you say, you want the the Oklahoma City Thunder to exceed expectations and become a playoff team as soon as this season? This, I mean, Chet has enormous expectations because you look at his film in college and he should immediately become one of the best help defenders in the league, just based on what we saw at Gonzaga. Also in summer league, he really shined against better competition. That is going to be a huge piece for them because they were navigating last season without a rim protector at all in the slightest. Yeah. It was zero rim protection. There was and no Brax And Braxton, excuse me, I didn't mean to interrupt, but you're right. And they were 10th in defensive rating before Lou Dort went down with an injury without a paint protector. That's how impressive this young roster has been. But excuse me, sir. Yeah, I mean, Lou Dort, you have SGA, Jalen Williams, Kenwich Williams, and then Kaysan Wallace, one of the best perimeter defenders in college basketball last season. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches on the perimeter. And then Chet Holmgren comes in as already 20 to one at defensive player of the year, and he hasn't played a single minute. That's kind of the expectations that most people have for Chet Holmgren's defense. He's going to be a key piece offensively too, you know, with his screening, with his rolling, some inverted pick and rolls probably. It's going to be very, very interesting to see how he kind of gels and fits in. But, you know, I'm not too worried because he's a team first guy. He's unselfish like the rest of the roster. And they're going to make sure that they maximize each other's strengths here. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com. And you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Bring me all of the Star Trek all of the time, and I will be an incredibly happy girl. Even if it's terrible. It's like pizza. Bad pizza is still pretty good because it's pizza. Bad Star Trek is still pretty good because it's still Star Trek. That's the way that I look at it. Just let it sit in the refrigerator for a day and be cold. That's it. Yep. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it is Braxton Reynolds. Please go ahead and check out the great work today at thunderousintentions.com. Part of the fan-sided experience there for you. Before I head it back over to, to Magic Matt, I just want to touch on one more thing when it comes to Chet Holmgren. 
when it, you know, obviously the defensive issues, again, he looks like he's going to be exceeding those expectations. As Magic Man noted, six block game in summer league. Obviously, he dominated on that end of the ball. As far as stretching the ball out, as far as being able to go ahead and from time to time stretch out to the three is something that he did at Gonzaga. Do you do you see them modeling themselves in that same fashion? The only reason I'd be a little bit apprehensive about that is because you once had a big guy, very talented, that you that Oklahoma City did stick out for a three for for his rookie season, and Demonte Sabonis, and that didn't quite work out so well for him until he was traded to Indiana and developed his game from there. Your thoughts on Chet Holmgren? Where would you like to see him predominantly used on the offensive side of the ball? Well, first, you know, I would say Chet Holmgren right now is already a better shooter than Sabonis is right now. I don't think they're comparable, even though they both played on OKC. I think Chet's shot, it looks, it's much smoother and his release is better. I think they do use him from three. It's a three-point league. And, you know, if your center even shoots two a game, all it does just takes the center out even further takes the defense out of the paint. And when you have a team that leads the NBA in drives per game, that's going to be crucial if there's no rim protector behind the opponent's defense. So they're going to use him out there. I think mostly they're not going to go for post-ups with him. That's not really his game. That's not really efficient offense at this point that we know, unless your name's Nikola Jokic or Embiid. I think they're just going to use him in pick and rolls a bunch, let him handle a few inverted pick and rolls, dribble handoffs, you know, just get him going sideways and exploit his mobility advantage, which you can do on the three-point line versus not in the paint. Magic Man? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just to add on, Braxton, um, what you were saying about SGA, Canada used him almost in the exact same way that he's been used with OKC. Um, Chris Paul used to be the mid-range god. Now the mid-range god is uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, nearly 50% uh, on mid-range shots. That's uh, unreal. Um, not only, like you said, Braxton, he can shoot the three. He just chooses not to. He, at less than 30% of his shot selection is three throughout his career. I don't think that'll take above ever like 40%, Braxton, because of what you said. I mean, he's just... He's a three-level creator as well. That's that's the headache with him, right? Is that he's a three-level scorer and a three-level creator. So it's not as if they need him to shoot a lot of threes. You're right. So who on this roster do you think needs to really step up as far as their shot last year? Because th- there were a couple guys I thought who could have really helped themselves uh, with Mark uh, in the rotations if they just had shot a little better. Who would be your number one or two guy you think They need to shoot better if they want to see floor time with Shea. You know, he's going to see floor time anyways, but Josh Giddy has to improve the shot because he's not going to be on ball as much as he should with the amount of um, talent on this roster. So if he can really unlock that shot, they're going to be unstoppable. I'm not sure how you can stop SJ and Giddy when they both can play on or off ball to a high level. I would say Lou Dort has to step up his shot because, you know, he's all-world defender, but he really, really struggles with his shooting at times, and it compromises defensive integrity. 
because, you know, teams can sag off of him and it hurts SGA's drives. If he can be 36, even 37% from three, that's going to be crucial for maintaining spacing and opening up the court because at that point you have five players who can shoot threes and there should be no defender near the rim at that point. For a bench player, probably, you know, Kenrich Williams, I think if he maintains that three-point shot, it's kind of been up and down um, for a few seasons now. He's had it. He hasn't had it. If he has that, he's might be the best player on the bench. And, you know, when you have that kind of versatility, he led the NBA in a metric called defensive role versatility, which is, you know, guarding across different offensive roles of stretch big, um, primary ball handler, motion shooter, et cetera. He is the defensive key for the bench. And if he maintains that spacing too, you know, with Wallace, with Misich passing, that's going to be unstoppable too. Once again, it is, of course, like I said before, just truly great to have him here. Braxton Reynolds, please go ahead and check him out today on his work with Thunderous Intentions at thunderousintentions.com. One of the things I wanted to ask you is about the Williams. This is, this is, this is. Uh, of course, you have Jalen, and then you have Jalen, and then you have Kenrich. But of course, it all focuses on most prim- primarily on Jalen Williams of Santa Clara. And Jalen is the, probably the best. Has He probably has the best upside of each. He even started showcasing himself off on that, uh, you know, as far as last season, you know, really playing well, just really improved and was uh, I think in the rookie of the year, I think he was number two in the rookie of the year standing uh, as far as that's concerned. So really a strong season for him. How far do you think it can go with him? What do you see is his ceiling? Do you see him as someone that can be a strong number two on a playoff team, such as possibly Oklahoma city? What do you, what do you think as far as that's concerned for him and his progress going forward? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, I think it was like nine games last year without SGA on the court. Jalen Williams put up like 22, five and four. He was leading that offense with SGA not playing. I think, you know, all NBA third team to a really, really good all-star is kind of his ceiling. You know, a, a second option on a championship team would be the ideal, maybe third. You know, at this point, two-way wings that are hyper-efficient in all areas of the court are always welcome. And, you know, he increases muscle mass, his defensive versatility. He played center at times. He guarded power forwards. He guarded point guards. You know, his defensive versatility and his offensive just efficiency and shot creation, unselfishness, it's really the ideal modern wing of today. And, I mean, he's not SGA level. I don't think he ever hits primary creator level of, you know, a 1 or 1B championship team but he definitely has i think the second most potential even over josh giddy on this team there you go right there sean any thoughts uh on the oklahoma city thunder again a team with so much promise and it looks like they're getting primed and ready to go ahead and start delivering on quite a bit of that this season sean yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Gerald. Um, you know, I I definitely see OKC as at minimum Braxton a playing team, like at, at minimum. Uh, I think uh, they could go as high as three to me. 
Um, they could be last year Sacramento Kings, as far as I'm concerned, um, with the level of talent and uh, just the cohesion they have. Injuries. That's that's what's kept coming up in our previews about uh, re- these really good cannibal Western Conference teams. Raxton, as we know, the West eats itself alive, and you have to be healthy if you want to get out. So, like you were saying, like it's almost like a catch twenty two with Lou Dort. Lou Dort is a hell of a defender, like really good. It it tipped the scales for OKC because we talked about that they were tenth in defensive rating. And you're also right when you say he needs to improve his shot. Like, there is no ifs, ands, or buts. You need to shoot your butt off from three uh, at a pretty good clip. So, injuries aside, Braxton, if Dort doesn't improve his shot, but the defensive rating is, let's say it's kind of in the middle of the pack, do you think do you think Sam will move off him? Because I, I, know, I know he loves him, too. He loves him like he kind of loves Poku. But I think if if push comes to shove, like you said, if OKC gets into a situation where uh, people are sagging off him, like uh, the Cavs had a problem with Okoro in the playoffs, that's a huge issue for them. So I'm just wondering what you think about, you know, where does Lou Dort fit in all this? You know, if he really continues to struggle, Kaysan Wallace might come for his job because Wallace is that combo guard that defends at a high level and can also shoot and handle the ball, which is a dimension that Dort doesn't have. So Wallace could exploit defenders in a way that Dort can't. You know, I think he wouldn't want to move Dort unless he's moving him in a trade for like a big star. I think Dort's 17 million contract, add that to Bertans, that's 34 million. Oladipo gets you to 43. You're already in superstar territory right there. So you know, if he doesn't trade for a superstar, I think they just transition Dort into more of a bench role instead of actually just um, trading him for a 1v1. But um, yeah, I think Dort, this is a big season for Dort. Absolutely. Uh, looking forward to seeing what he can do. Otherwise, there is a possibility that he could be utilized in a trade for something bigger, or if things don't work quite as well, he could be definitely a name to be talked about at the February trade deadline for a contending team, which leads me into my next question. Again, with all the assets that Sam Presti has, you know, I joke about the 500 million draft picks that he has, but it's so advantageous. It's funny because you talked about Usman Dieng and I realized I went back on it and I realized, I remember that, you know, he was part of that New York trade where, you know, New York got three first round draft picks and to 90% of teams, let's say 95% of the NBA teams. If you give three first round draft picks to another team, that's like, okay, we're pretty much good for the rest of the decade. We can't give up anymore with uh, Oklahoma city. It's just like a barely a dent <laughs> in their arsenal, considering the fact they still have double digit first round draft picks over the next five years, your thoughts on how best they should utilize those picks, you know, if they want to go ahead and either build, continue to build in the same, the same growth pattern that they have currently where like it's steady, sure, nothing elaborate, nothing rushed, or 
if they feel like they need to go ahead and punch the accelerator just a little bit more. How do you see or how do you feel that they should utilize that abundance of wealth of draft picks and also the young talent as well? Yeah, so Sam Presti in his press conference recently, he said some pretty interesting things. Um, First thing was you can't buy the paint for a house that you don't own. So he doesn't know what this roster is yet with Chet, with Misich, with Wallace. He doesn't know what he wants to get. He doesn't know what this team needs yet. And, you know, Giddy's in year three, Jalen year two, they're far from their primes. So Presti's not going to go shopping until he knows what he needs to buy. And then he also said, I'm not going to cash in assets to become average or above average. He's really going to go star hunting with these picks. And until one opens up, I think he just rolls them back. He trades 24 first for 2028 first, 2029 first, and he keeps just rolling them back so that he maintains his level of assets without having to, you know, further ruin this roster through more roster crunch and, you know, more prospects that need time but won't get it. So, you know, we saw this with in the last draft, they traded 33rd, 32nd overall for Denver's 2028, maybe first or 2029. I think that is going to be a trend that you see with Presti. He's just going to trade 24 first, 25 first, move them back so they maintain flexibility. And then, you know, if Giannis opens up in two years, if someone big opens up in two years, then they unload the truck. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Back up the Brinks truck indeed. Absolutely. When it comes to all those draft picks, Magic Man, uh, Braxton has been great with us so far. Uh, more thoughts on the Thunder, my friend, because like team, this as a team, this team is starting to make people in the league nervous about what kind of damage they can really do. Maybe to some, not yet, but they should be on the radar because their time could be now. Yeah, absolutely, Gerald. Uh, there's always there's always uh, a team that's uh, surprising people, and last year was the Kings. I have a feeling, Gerald, everybody knows what's coming with the Thunder as opposed to the uh, the Kings last year. So I, I have a feeling that even though they get teams' best shots, like Braxton, I barely saw SGA breaking a sweat against the Lakers when he scored, uh, I think it was 35 uh, the first time they played them. Um, it was, it's effortless to him. It really is. Um, so do you think... See, like, I didn't hear anything from Sam Presti or Mark about minute restrictions on anybody, including Chet. I, I, I thought they gave him a clean bill of health outside of the Frank factor. So how do you feel that the minute uh, modulation or uh, actual control will work for this team? No, um, I don't think there's any minute restrictions for any of the big names. Maybe for some of the bench not because of injury, only because they're just trying to get more of their bench guys in. Um, that would be the only reason. They're going to go full out and really try the, this season to maybe get third seed, fourth seed. You know, young teams, they generally play harder than the veteran teams like the Clippers and the Lakers. They know they got to rest up for the playoffs. LeBron's turning 39 in December. He doesn't want to try super hard in a November game that ultimately won't matter. So I think Thunder will surprise some people. 
when they're playing their stars more minutes and they're playing harder and that's going to lead to more wins for them. Okay. Uh, I think we, we know from personal experience, what was it two seasons ago, magic man, the infamous Lakers up by 25 and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and, absolutely. Then, and then it disappeared like the that. Right there. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you this though, empire Jeff TV, one of our great uh, partners and uh, always great to have him here on the show when he gets the chance to, Please go ahead and check out his great YouTube channel today, Empire Jeff TV on YouTube. He wants to know, again, a little bit something that we asked originally in the first few minutes of the program is because you have an abundance of players, it's currently 19 contracts, guaranteed contracts, I think at this point in time is what you have out there. Uh, and that that I think includes uh, the players. You no, know, that does not include the players that you just let go, like Aruba and Tai Tai Washington. But Gerald, they uh, I believe Presty also has the the three two ways. Okay, so that includes the three two ways. Okay, well, be that as it may, uh, who do you see? There, there is the numbers crunch. Just put it out there. If you were Sam Presty. Who do you think is the odds-on favorite to be let go? Or if there's going to be more than one player to be let go in order to go ahead and satisfy this player crunch? Yeah, so there's 18 on the roster right now, not including the three um, two-way players. So they have to cut three by opening night. That's non-negotiable. They have to do it per NBA rules. Jack White, you know, he was Josh Giddy's teammate on the Australia team, and They'd love to have him. I just, I don't think he makes it. He's not talented enough compared to, you know, some of these guys who are former first round picks and not even getting much playing time. So Jack White would be one. And then Trey Mann too, you know, he has the talent, but like I said earlier, small guards that don't play defense and are not efficient, they don't have much room to kind of grow because teams will move on fast. And he said some, he also said some interesting things for, um, his press conference today, he said, I need to find a spot where I can grow my game, essentially. Pretty big <laughs> indicator of I will not be in OKC in a few weeks. I think he knows the time is up for him. Uh, wish him the best wherever he goes, which I think will ultimately happen. And then JRE, you know, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, he was pretty good last year, which is kind of unfortunate because the injury really hurt him. And then he couldn't find his groove when he came back. He really didn't fit on offense, inconsistent defensively. I don't think he has a space on this roster with kind of Chet, Jalen Williams, Poku, even Kenrich Williams playing center. They just don't really have the minutes for him in that front court. So I would say White, Mann, and JRE are all off the roster, probably traded for a second or even cut at this point. It's because, you know, we as Laker fans, you know, the nice people that we are, we're just eyeing the back end of your roster. You know, who exactly do we want? (laughs) Isaiah Joe, do you want a guy that can just stroke it from outside? Or do you want Poku, who has still, you know, despite the injury history, some, in my opinion, someone who I favored coming out of the draft, and I spoke about him at length. Uh, has, uh, I think, a really good potential as an all-around player. Definitely an underrated passer and distributor. And definitely, if he can get some meat on those bones, per se, a little bit more, uh, hopefully he can go ahead and provide some, uh, you know, a lift for either you or for whatever team he hopefully will stay in the league with. But, uh, yeah, Byron, just, 
<laughs> and part of Jeff TV is a little bit upset because I think he knows that Isaiah Joe's is going to make the cut. But uh, go ahead, Sean. I just wanted to go ahead and get the numbers game because it is a numbers game right now. But yeah, um, I, I wanted to just make sure I got in that that as far as with Braxton. Your thoughts, my friend, Sean, on uh, for Braxton on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, uh, Braxton, this is kind of an adjacent question, so I'm not sure if uh, how much relevant information you'll have. Uh, but we do know how important the G League is now to uh, to the NBA. It's it's uh, it's imperative that uh, every team has uh, a system where they can try and develop young players that either can't make the grade yet at the pro level or need seasoning, right? So every team now has uh, a requisite G League team. The Portland Trailblazers finally joined the club. Uh, but we do know that uh, right now OKC is having some problems with their G League team. They can't really seem to find an arena to play in right now. Uh, have you heard any rumblings about that? Because this team has had issues in the past with their G League affiliate, right? They They've moved all over. They used to have a team in Tulsa, then it was in Oklahoma. I'm just wondering if, if you've heard any any uh, rumblings about what's going on with the G League affiliate, the, the Blue. Um, I haven't in regards to that. They're going to find a place to play, and they're going to be good. Um, you know, last year, Usman Jang, they used him in the G League a lot, and he came back a different person after, like, a few months there, a few games there, too. He has really developed his game. I think the G League coaches for OKC are very good, and they know how to develop. Mark also, he knows when to send a player, when not to, when they can get their confidence back. I think that was a big thing with Usman Jang. You know, he really lost his confidence early in the season when his shot wasn't falling, which, to be fair, a 19-year-old rookie, it's going to happen. You know, And he goes in. He really plays well. He ups his confidence, and it did wonders for him. So OKC, G League, um, wherever it happens, they're going to be a good system for kind of helping with the roster crunch and developing guys on the side so that when they come back, they're set to go. Absolutely. And that's been a point of emphasis for Sam. Like, you can see it. Like, Ever since they they had an opportunity there, he's built he's built up that G League system as much as he has uh, his own club. And um, you know what, Braxton, I, I I gotta be honest, I I kind of make a sour face whenever anybody says you know uh, Daryl Morey is kind of the envy of all his uh, colleagues. I actually think it should be Sam. I mean, uh, to be fair to Daryl, I mean Daryl. The furthest you've taken a team is the Western Conference Finals. Sam's actually taken a team to an NBA Finals. He's built up a contender. He's likely to build up another contender. Braxton, I think Sam's the best executive we've seen in the last 20 years. I mean, do you see him being a funder for life? I think so. I think, you know, he loves his job. The city loves him. The players love him. Crucial to the organization. And, you know, he is OKC history. He's been there. So he's going to be there for life as long as he wants to. I don't see the Thunder moving off of him. In regards to best executive, I would say Sam Presti. I think no one identifies talent in the draft or free agency better than him. 
I mean, Isaiah Joe was cut by the 76ers and OKC just picks him up and sign him to a 1.5 million deal. And there he goes, 40% from three, one of the best three point shooters in the league. You look at his draft history, Jalen Williams, Kaysen Wallace, Chet Holmgren, all the way back to Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. So he's really good at identifying talent. For trades too, he turned Serge Ibaka into DeMontis Sabonis and Oladipo, turned that into Paul George, turned that into SGA, Jalen Williams, a million first round picks. He's one of the best at trades, although Danny Ainge has to be at the top of that mountain. But Sam Presti's up there. And yeah, he's an OKC lifer, one of the best in the league, if not the best. We're signaling the ref for a quick timeout, but we'll be back with more of the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Hey, Lakers fans. Looking for the best place to go for up-to-date news, information, original videos, articles, podcasts, opinion pieces, and discussions about the Los Angeles Lakers? Well, look no further than Lakerholics.com. With a legion of followers always there talking about everything Lakers and the NBA, there's no better place to go to share your fandom as the team heads toward another championship run. So stop by and be part of the conversation today at Lakerholics.com. So I asked this, Braxton, and once again, it is Braxton Reynolds. Please go ahead and check his work out today at thunderousintentions.com. I'll make sure as well he gets time to go ahead and plug anything that he wants to plug at the back end of the show. But one of the things when you talk about such a big roster full of young talent, you know, it's hard to uh, disseminate which player is going to succeed outside of the starting five, which ones are going to get the time necessary in order to develop into the potential that that is so much believed by Sam Presti and the folks behind the OKC Thunder. Your thoughts, if there's one player under the radar that we need to keep our eye on, because we all know Giddy, we all know SGA, we all know Holmgren, we know Jalen Williams, Santa Clara Jalen Williams. Who is the player we should keep an eye on that nobody is really talking enough about? I would say Aaron Wiggins. He is a crucial piece on the bench, really good on-ball defender. He upped his three-point shot. So he's really forming into one of the best 3 and D players across all benches in the league. You know, he has to work on his passing, but it's not really essential in his role. It would certainly develop his potential. But, you know, right now he has a floor as an impactful 3 and D player on a championship team, which, you know, you can't say about a lot of players. So Aaron Wiggins, he doesn't really get the time or the praise that he deserves, but really tries hard and really impacts the game on all levels. Following that up, uh, Sean, on, on any type of questions that you have for Braxton on the OKC Thunder, because again, Aaron Wiggins, I thought that was a really good choice because nobody talks about him and he could be that player that could be the glue guy especially coming off the bench bench for that team, especially if they're going to make a playoff run this year, Sean. So I thought that was a great answer. Yeah, 100%, Gerald. And now the more that I'm thinking about it, I, um, uh, I have a feeling it, it, it could possibly be a situation where 
I, I realize it's a different sport, but the OKC Thunder, we could be looking at like the Baltimore Orioles of the uh, of the NBA, where they just have eight to ten just impactful players, and then they have six to eight more just waiting in the wings. Um, and yeah, honestly, Braxton, a, a lot. I think a lot of NBA fandom are just going to be uh, green with envy this year because uh, they have the potential to just win a lot of games and and fool around with rotations while they're doing it. I mean that that's that is an embarrassment of riches, um, and it's been a while since there's been a team like this that has done that. So. Uh, what odds do you give that this season where you say the Thunder play really well? Let's say they, let's say they, um, they top out like 45, 47 wins, Braxton. Well, what, how good do you feel about them almost reaching a 50 win plateau? It's tough because you look at the West and there are 11 teams that are playoff teams. Only eight make it. And then you have Portland, you have Utah and Houston, not really punching bags. They're not easy wins. So I think the win total is going to be a little deceptive because as a Western conference, it's going to be deflated. So 45 wins, I think would be a 50 win season in a different year. I think that 50 wins, probably their absolute peak for topping out because of how hard the West is, but you know, they have an advantage, like you said, with injuries because their depth insulates them from all of these injuries. You know, if Kenrich Williams goes down, Aaron Wiggins just steps up. If Misich goes down, Kaysen Wallace is right there. So they have these guys who really play hard and they have the depth to insulate. It's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how other teams are impacted by injury compared to them. I think late like Lakers might be a team that could be hurt bad and Thunder on the other hand will be not so while Lakers might have the talent right now in October you look at March or April Thunder could be the better team when you look at injuries and that's a realistic scenario for a bunch of Western Conference teams besides maybe Denver it's going to be a really good season for OKC so that's what the I think the question is uh, in regards to OKC with all the talent that they have that's still developing, with all the talent that they have that you know many feel is ready now, where do you see the OKC Thunder ending up in the Western Conference this season? I'd probably say fifth seed, I think, is the most fair assessment. That kind of, you know, it allows for growth, but it also checks that there are better teams. You have to realize that. Uh, Clippers are there. Warriors, Nuggets, Grizzlies, and then you have like Pelicans. They were on top of the world before that Zion injury. If he stays healthy, that is a dangerous squad with depth. So I think fifth seed and then probably first round exit would be the plan this year. And then, you know, next year they make that move. They trade in all those assets or even just internal growth and, you know, second seed and they move on. But, you know, I think a first-round playoff would be the goal here for this young team. Magic Man, any last OKC questions before we hit them with the hard ones with the Lakers? Uh, yeah. 
uh, Braxton, you you alluded to uh, the idea that you know it's probably not going to be this year. This year's kind of a gap year for the Thunder, like you were saying. Mark wants to really see who he wants to. Like Pat Riley had a saying, he said, um, "Use eight, you." <laughs> Gerald knows what I'm about to say. Use eight, rotate seven, play six, and trust five. So, but he's got an abundance of riches because it's like. I can use 14 or 15 and then I've got to figure out which five I trust. So do you, do you ultimately see if they pop, if they pop this year, do you see Sam really uh, working the phones in the summer and next year to try and get that uh, impact player? Because it, it, it seems to fit with the timeline of what he wants. Because uh, if you look at like, they're right there with, I know a lot of people want to put Memphis above OKC, but OKC is coming up behind them. Like th- if this was a NASCAR race, uh, OKC is coming up in the rear view. So do you think Sam ultimately makes a move probably more likely next year than, than this year or in, even in the summer? Yeah, I think, you know, Presti and Mark, they are patience itself. They will not rush it. If anything, they will rather miss their window than break their window. You know, and with, you know, Lillard going to Milwaukee, Drew and Porzingis in Boston, you have Jokic. I don't think now is the season that Presti would want to push his chips into because, you know, Boston looks very scary. Milwaukee looks scary. And the West is deep. Curry's still there. Maybe in a few years, um, you know, one or two years, Curry will be gone from, you know, number one option. He might regress a little bit. And LeBron might regress a little bit. I think he's waiting for the last generation of superstars to kind of age out a little bit. And then in that transition period, that's when OKC strikes. And it's when all their players are one year closer to their primes too. So it's kind of a balance of my players and the league. When do you do it? I think Presti knows now is not really the year. I think it's next year or perhaps even two years, but I would say two years maximum. Once again, it's Braxton Reynolds. Please go ahead and support him today on all of his various outlets, including thundersintentions.com, part of the fan-sided experience. Okay, Braxton, we've kind of let you easy. Just like on media day, we, you know, where they all just give these, uh, you know, players out there, the softball questions, nothing really hard or, you know, there's nothing really juicy that we can sink into for the most part, 99% of the time. So it's that 1% that we all say, hey, all right, that's what I wanted to hear. Uh, that's what you wanted to go ahead and take from it. So we're all just waiting for those type of answers. But the questions I have now for you are based on the Lakers. So I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, on the Lakers this season. What sticks out to you when you talk about the Lakers and how they'll do this upcoming season? Yeah, I think, you know, the one thing they didn't really address was three-point shooting. I looked at the numbers um, today, and 33% on open three-point attempts, 36% on wide open during the playoffs, which are both really bad numbers compared to, you know, the average. And the Denver series, the Nuggets were taking 10 more threes per game and shooting 7% better. At that point, the math is just stacked against them. It's really hard to overcome that. 
and I'm not sure they really fixed their three-point shooting because yes, Christian Wood does help a lot, but can he be played with his defense? Will Jokic play him off the court? And Russell helps a lot, but can he be played on defense? He's going to be hunted mercilessly by these teams. And if you kind of get them off the court, where's the spacing around LeBron and Davis who don't really shoot that well anyways? LeBron was particularly concerning last year with the amount of threes he was settling for. When, you know, two years ago, three years ago, that was a drive to the hoop and that was a layup or free throws. I think with his age, three-point shooting around him is more important than ever. And I'm not sure that the Lakers can really provide that to the level that they need. That would be my biggest roadblock for them beating the Nuggets and winning the championship. Magic Man? So, so Braxton, we've, uh, we've uh, heard from um, several different experts on, on what they feel is the Lakers' number one flaw. Some have said Jared Vanderbilt. Others have pointed to the uh, our injury history and LeBron's age. Others have pointed to you know Anthony Davis. Although Anthony is probably the greatest defensive player of his generation, the inconsistency level given with his uh, offensive prowess. He, this is a person who average can average you know fifty five in one night, Braxton, and then the next night he could average eight. How do you, so where do you see the Lakers fatal flaw if there is one, Braxton? Yeah, I'd say three-point shooting. I'd say injuries, you know, LeBron's 39 in December, and that was a nasty injury last year that he had. I'm kind of worried about him just because of age. And then Anthony Davis, can you really rely on him to play every single game? You know, he did last year, but kind of concerning. You know, overall, I think, the Lakers, I think they lack unexploitable playoff-proof players that can really thrive on both ends of the court. You have Russell and Wood, who are offensive, great, but defensive, they have problems. Other side, Vanderbilt was played off the court because he couldn't shoot. Jackson Hayes, he's not much beyond screener, roller, doesn't provide the spacing they need next to Davis. Cam Reddish is a little streaky. Gabe Vincent's a little streaky. I think, you know, they don't have that really solid two-way player that you cannot hunt and who on the other side can hunt. That's kind of my worry for them. Although, you know, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, it makes it much easier. <laughs> it does in many ways, but you're right. We did rank 25th overall in three-point shooting for the year. And you talked about the problems in the playoffs, especially as the team got tired and more fatigued in that third round. Just coming back from a 2-10 and ten season took so much out of the team to get where they were at. And you could tell in that, that you know, final Western Conference final matchup against Denver, you saw where we just did not have enough to give Denver and like you said the math uh, you know we lost by an average of six points in that series in each game and you can see with the math a lot of it has to do with just the fact we were not as efficient from the outside so definitely uh, you know appreciate your insights on that and and looking forward to hearing more thoughts from you hopefully we could go ahead and connect again later this year uh, you know or later this season uh, you know when of course we do a lot of 
pre-games. I know we do all our post-games here at the Lakers Fast Break, but we're going to incorporate some pre-games, and hopefully we can bring you on for some of those. But before we head on out, definitely want to hear your thoughts on what's going on with you, your work, and where can people find you and find your great work that you do for the OKC Thunder? Yeah, so I'm writing for Thunderous Intentions. Um, just had a few articles out on you know things to improve for offense and defense. Uh, you can find me at lineups.com. Just wrote an article on Jaden McDaniels, breakout player. He's going to get that massive extension soon. Those are the two places. Awesome. Yeah, great work indeed. And I just cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speak to us. Uh, it is Braxton Reynolds. Please go ahead and check out today. Are you on social media or I yeah, want to go um, ahead? And- yeah, Twitter, Reynolds 200 All right. Well, there you go. Absolutely. Reynolds 200 I think that's the number of draft picks Sam Presti has right now in the office. So yeah, that's absolutely that's that's I think that's why it matches. So uh, truly appreciate Lakers in five, Empire Jeff, even Joe. Joe was in the in the chat, Zangerstein, everybody else that was in the chat as well. Truly appreciate it. It's the best Lakers chat room that's out there. The Lakers fast break. Magic Man, any last thoughts or questions on the OKC Thunder or LA Lakers before we head on out? Braxton. I- I'm Canadian. I live in the city of Toronto, so a small part of me obviously roots firstly for SGA because he's from my hometown. Shout out to Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, And Lou Dort is also Canadian as well, so a small part of me likes to root for the Thunder, except when they're playing the Lakers. I really hope for for this year that uh, obviously last year was a little disappointing, but that the fans get a, a good product. First of all, that's ultimately what we hope for. And um, Sam Presti looks like he's really, uh, really liking this in-season tournament, Braxton. So it wouldn't shock me at all to see see the Thunder uh, hoisting that trophy uh, in Gerald's Las Vegas. What are your thoughts on that, my friend, before we head on out? Yeah, I mean – like I said earlier, they're going to play harder in November than most teams are. So they're going to go for that. Their depth also is going to be a factor in that too. If they want to rest guys, they can just sign them up and then bring in more guys. So they're going to have a good chance at that tournament. And, you know, Presti, every chance that you get to test yourself in a tournament setting, Presti wants his guys playing. And Mark is going to push his guys hard. These guys, you know, they love to play the game too. They love to put themselves in a position where they're fighting for something on the line. And I think Adam Silver has something with this in-season tournament. I think it's going to be a good thing for the league overall. I hope so because Sean and I are not the highest on it. We'll be honest with you, but maybe that's because we have two players, our key players are over the age of 30 and we do not welcome the idea of the possibility of playing an extra game for them just to see the look on LeBron's face, you know, whether or not I get credentials for the, for the game or not, just to ask him or see him ask. So how do you feel like playing in, in an extra game and just see the look on his face, the scowl that he can give you on that? Just not looking forward to that. But uh, again, for a team like OKC, a win would be just so much more beneficial for them if going forward as a sign of growth and maturity for that team. I think that would be awesome. A team like that, maybe Minnesota, New Orleans, you know, some team like that, that really needs something like this 
a play-in tournament to really grow as a team that could actually lead into some more good things down the road, even this season. So you're right. If they have that push, they have that momentum, Sean and Braxton, that could be, that could lead to them like to, like you said, a possibility of a four five or six seed by the end of the season, Braxton. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, I, 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 Gerald, as much as we're, we're kind of uh, sour on the plan, you're right. It could be it could be portending to a catapult season for somebody who wins the the whole damn thing and thinks, oh, well, we won this. We can encourage our guys to uh, be a second or third seed. You never know. You take that momentum and you just don't know how long it can last. But you know what? If you have that momentum, it's sort of like get you get out to the, you know going in through December and you go ahead and you you win that tournament and you could go ahead and ride that uh, momentum a long way. So. Braxton, yeah, definitely watch out for the Thunder during the play-ins, uh, the, the in-season tournament. Definitely looking forward to that. But also looking forward to connecting with you later this season, hopefully here at the Lakers Fast Break. But any last thoughts, my friend, before we head on out, Braxton? Just that Lakers-Thunder game is going to be a battle again this year, like always. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more on that, indeed. Once again, it is Braxton Reynolds. Please go ahead and check out his great work today at thunderousintentions.com. You want the latest info and intel on what's going on with the OKC Thunder? Go ahead and check it out as far as the fan-sided experience that's out there. Of course, thunderousintentions.com. Zanger Science says, I think it is, is that is hard to do, Gerald, because the initial games are part of the regular season and one win can be a difference that it's actually hard to manage and just thinking it's a separate. Uh, I can tell you right now, Z, uh, depending on the player, they'll think it's separate and some will think it's just part of the regular season. Yeah, it, there's a different mindset and mentality, especially early on the first season that this happens. You'll have a different mindset. I mean, these players, they'll think about it different. The young players will think about it in a much different fashion, I think, Sean and Braxton, to what the older players will think of it. I think the younger players will probably take it much more seriously, Sangerstein. So hopefully uh, they Lakers will take it seriously, but, you know, I I, I can't th- – I, I won't count on it. I won't count on it. I think the Lakers will go ahead and just try to see what they can do to – to manage the roster and get 50 wins and, or thereabouts and try to see that they can get in healthy towards the playoffs. I think that would be much more to them, mean much more to them for a team, than a team like OKC Thunder, which I think could actually utilize that momentum, uh, you know, from winning the play-in tournament or the tournament in the play-in, in the season, whatever they call it right now, the NBA tournament in season that ends up here in Las Vegas. I really think they can take that momentum a long way if OKC wins it indeed. So great thoughts right there from Braxton Reynolds. Sean, the magic man, Grice, always here with me. Truly appreciate everyone in the chat room. Cannot thank you enough. Z, absolutely. Joe, uh, Lakers and Five, Empire Jeff, everybody that's available, go ahead and check out their great channels as well. But we will be back in about an hour to talk the Portland Trailblazers. Got a great conversation up ahead. Their roster has changed over a couple times in the past week. So we'll definitely see what Peter Sampson has to say about the Portland Trailblazers. Lakers and five. Great to have you here. I know you run a great channel. Please go ahead and check it out as well. Lakers and five, Empire Jeff, truly appreciate it. But 
For Magic Man, Sean Grice, and Braxton Reynolds, it's Gerald Glassford. Thanks so much again for watching and listening. We'll be back very soon with our final official NBA observation of the Portland Trailblazers. That's coming up here in just a little bit, right here on the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Needing an edge for your fantasy football team? Listen to the guys at Inside Sports Fantasy Football for insight that will help you reach your league championship. That's Inside Sports Fantasy Football. Check it out today on your favorite podcast outlet. Fast Break Podcast. Gerald Glassford coming back at you here for Lakers Fast Break. Pop Culture Cosmos, where we cover the latest news and trends in pop culture each and every week, twice a week, wherever you get your podcasts and on radio stations worldwide. Catch us there as well. Of course, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, Game Source, and of course, the great things that we do all the time here at the Lakers Fast Break. Don't forget our good friend, Mr. Joe Sorrow. He's always hanging out as Oxide T47 today at LakersBall.com. Plus, he owns the company he's been working hard at all day long. It's Simblates. Simblates with the Y.com. Yes, Darren, as a matter of fact, I did get a chance to eat a little something. So, yes, I did indeed. So, also as well, want to go ahead and mention today that truly appreciate him taking the time to go ahead and talk to Portland Trailblazers today. Of course, it is Peter Sampson. Peter, great to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Lakers Fast Break. Yeah, appreciate it. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Magic Man, he's here. He, of course, you've been interacting with him. The Madman yeah. from Toronto, indeed. Want to go ahead and thank you again for checking us out here at the Lakers Fast Break and being part of our covers today. I'll go ahead and give a proper intro here in a sec. I just wanted to go ahead and mention, if you get a chance out there, everyone, please go ahead and give our friends at Lakerholics. Com, a shout out Empire Jeff TV, Lakers in Five, and also as well the John McCallion channel. Support them on YouTube. But it is our NBA observations, and we are finally down to our final last NBA <laughs> observation. It's midnight of- and it's the glass slipper time. Yes, uh, and it's time to go home, Cinderella. But I will tell you that, of course, the Lakers, we're going to save that one for the day before the season starts. But we have comprised experts from all around the world to go ahead and share their thoughts on their teams for the upcoming season. Plus, each and every one of them shared their thoughts on Los Angeles Lakers. So we'd be remiss if we did not have as our final team out there, non-Lakers team to cover out there, would be the one that is providing the most excitement this offseason, the Portland Trailblazers, who have changed their roster a little bit more than once in the past few days. And again, Peter Sampson is here, Portland sports aficionado extraordinaire. Peter, great to have you here. Like I was saying earlier, cannot thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. I truly appreciate everything that you're doing out there, all the great work, especially on social media, on Twitter. 
want to ask you first, though, when it comes to Portland, obviously getting rid of a longtime Star Wars and the arguably the greatest blazer ever, who depending on who you talk to, in Damian Lillard, obviously did not come easy. But for Joe Cronin, the GM of the Portland Trail Blazers, he had to make the tough call. So even though not everything is finalized as far as this trade is concerned, because you, there still could be some pieces that could be moved. So far, after Damian Lillard gets traded to Milwaukee for pieces coming back, and also as well, part of those pieces, which is Drew Holiday, gets traded yesterday to Boston for even more coming back in. Right now, as the dust is kind of settling on this, you know, transactions that Portland's been doing, what do you rate Joe Cronin's uh, activity so far with this trade? In general, <laughs> you have to kind of look at it in two different ways. Overall, you know, you have to take into account his job of maybe building around Damian Lillard, which uh, I don't think it's any secret that uh, Trailblazers fans are pretty disappointed in that aspect. And look, he inherited a team that needed to be torn down. Neil Shea leaves a good, you know, season and a half ago now, season ago, and He's got some bloated contracts. He has some pieces that don't fit, and he needs to make some moves. And he essentially had a fire sale. You have CJ McCollum going to New Orleans. You have Robert Cummington, Norman Powell going to LA. And the team sort of, you know, is in flux. That being said, this was sold as we're going to retool, not rebuild. We're going to put pieces around Damian Lillard. And I think where the mistake was made is being so public with those declarations to the point that you have 29 other GMs that know, hey, this guy's desperate. We're not going to give him anything. And I think until the 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 actual day of the NBA draft, when you saw Charlotte not take Scoot Henderson number two, I think Joe Cronin wanted to build around Damian Lillard. But at that point, you have his replacement. You have his, the future. You're looking at a, a guy that's going to be 37 years old, making $60 million a couple years from now. And ultimately, he had to make the move. Now, as far as what he got, and we're talking in the short term just this week, I think the trade is, I mean, you, you maybe don't call it a home run, but I think it's about as close as you can get considering the lack of leverage that he had. You know, when Dame and his agent, Aaron Goodwin, they come out and they say, yeah, I want to trade, and it's only going to be to Miami. I mean, what is he supposed to do? And I don't know if there's any real truth to this. I know Miami fan is really kind of hurt. They think that it was all out of spite. I don't think the lack of dealing with Miami was out of spite, but I do think spite played into it a little bit. And I don't think it hurts them that they got a great package. They sent Dame to a contender. I mean, maybe the favorite in the East. And oh, by the way, it hurts Miami. And then we have this Drew Holiday uh, deal. And oh, by the way, moving him to Boston also hurts Miami. So look, Portland, <laughs> I could talk for this entire show about Portland's uh, lack of success and injury issues with big men. And now you've got DeAndre Ayton, who I think needed a change of scenery. I think we could all agree on that. You know, it's a little surprising that Monty Williams butted heads with anybody. Monty Williams, one of the, one of the great guys in the NBA. But Chris Paul wears on everyone. And I know he's not in Phoenix anymore, but that, that situation did run its course. So I think DeAndre Ayton, 
going to be highly motivated to succeed. But then if he's not, and it turns out he's just this kind of slacker, already got paid sort of guy, you got Robert Williams coming in. Even if he's only good for, say, 25 minutes a game, you know he's only going to play 60 games. But that's a guy who can immediately butt in and put pressure on DeAndre Ayton. You've got the, the picks and the swaps with Milwaukee. And what I think Heat fan didn't necessarily understand is we don't really want your picks because you're always kind of good. You're either really good or you're just sort of good. Where Milwaukee, once Dame is retired or what I think probably retiring as a trailblazer after this contract, maybe as a sixth, seventh or eighth man, and Giannis maybe isn't what he is, and Middleton's out the door and Lopez is out the door – a superstar free agent's not coming to Milwaukee the same way they don't come to Portland. Those picks and those swaps, I think they're going to be valuable. So I got to give Cronin in the totality. I've got to give him a B plus. But if we're just talking this week, A, it's a home run. Once again, it's Peter Sampson. Please go ahead and check him out on Twitter. I'll get his Twitter handle up here in a second here on the screen. Truly appreciate the time he's taken to go ahead and check us out today. Right there for us at twitter.com slash Sampson. Magic man, go ahead, my friend. You line this great interview up. You knock him out, my friend. Absolutely. Peter, thank you. You've been a staple in the Portland sports scene for yeah. well over you know, a decade and a half now as far as I've been uh, blogging online. And my question to you is there's there hasn't been a lot of time for, or at least I haven't heard, a lot of reflecting on the Dame era. Uh, because everything has been so fast and furious the past uh, week and a half. So 11 years, um, he's got some very like special moments, not only in Trailblazers history, but in NBA playoff lore. Um, how do you see the Dame era? And my, my other question is, I thought the as you were talking about the the hit long history, unfortunate history of Portland big men being hurt, I couldn't help but but think of 2017 is when I thought they they that was kind of the beginning of the end of the merry-go-round because they spent two first-round picks to select Zach Collins, who never worked out. Like I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Peter, but I think he played in less than 100 games for Portland over yep. his tenure. So, do you, do you do you think that's where it the the seeds were kind of planted there on them mistiming everything? And how do you feel the Dame era overall totality from beginning to end? What what's the what's the biggest takeaway? Yeah, it, that's such a, a big question. I mean, I, I don't just, you know, cover the Trailblazers. I live in Portland. I'm a lifelong Portlander. Damian Lillard truly, like, transcends sports in this city. It, it He means more to the, like, I don't know, Nike probably means more. Adidas is here. I mean, but Damian Lillard, it means so much. Like, people that don't even care about sports i'll see them in dame jerseys and no joke he'll go out we have a beautiful green city you would always see on twitter randomly like oh dame's out at whatever park with the u-haul just giving sneakers away and he didn't announce it he just did it and then you actually get into the sports moments i mean you know of course the the shot against okc which one of the great moments of my career was jumping live uh you know on my uh my, my sports radio show 
uh, within, uh, you know, immediately after that game, being there, being credentialed, being in press row, seeing that happen, and the, then just jumping on, you know, for two hours with, I mean, it, it was it was pure pandemonium. And so I like to remember those moments, you know, the shot against Houston, the 70 points, just 71 points just this season. But I think ultimately when we get away from the, uh, the emotions and we look at this era, say 20 years from now, the way you would look at maybe the Clyde Drexler era or the, the Brandon Roy era, I think is a, is a great example of this. It's, it's going to be what if, and it's going to be, man, it was a shame that, he couldn't have more put around him. And look, I mean, you, you can really get into the question of can Dame be the number one on a championship team? I mean, my heart says yes, but my eyeballs watching him play defense, honestly, probably say no. Uh, but that being said, it should have been better. And you hit on it with that 2017 draft. I mean, three first round picks the Trailblazers had. And they're coming off a of summer in 2016 where they spent a quarter of a billion dollars on uh, Myers Leonard, Mo Harkless, Alan Crabb, Evan <laughs> I, I don't even want to say his name, Evan Turner. I, I mean I love Evan Turner, yeah. And don't get me wrong, being in that locker room, there is not a better quote in the NBA than Evan Turner, but that man did not deserve 80 million dollars. Uh and and I'm blanking on one. And then a guy that's worse than them somehow. Uh I mean it was just Oh, insane. maybe it was uh Cantor. Uh no, they dealt for Cantor. I don't remember who it was. Oh, oh, uh Festus Azili. Oh, Azili, yeah. Who could forget Festus Azili? Who had a dead man's tendon in his knee and never suited up, <laughs> shockingly. So uh but you could at least go, well, everyone overspent. Timothy Timothy Mozgov, anyone, Luol Deng, like everyone sort of made that mistake because the cap went up. Okay, well it's 2017, we got these three picks. Okay, we're gonna move up. That's fine. Now there was a rumor, and I can't say that it's true, but there was a lot of smoke. That was that was when Paul George wanted out uh, from the Pacers. And C.J. McCollum and three first-round picks, I hear, could have potentially got it done. Now, I know there's a little bit of bad blood. Kevin Pritchard was there, and he was a former Blazers exec, and he wasn't necessarily keen to help uh, uh, Paul Allen, who was still uh, with us at the time. But C.J. McCollum, three first-round picks, was not put on the table. And it wasn't the first-round picks that were reportedly the issue. It was you can't touch C.J. McCollum. So refusing to move off of C.J. when you see – and C.J. is a great player. I love C.J. He can cook like no one's business. But him and Dame, there's so much overlap both in strength and in weakness. Okay, well, let's see what we do with these picks. You trade two of those three to jump into the top ten. And you draft Zach Collins, not OG Ananobi, not Bam Adebayo, not the other Collins, John Collins, not, uh, you know, Donovan Mitchell, had you maybe looked to that deal for PG-13. You kept that pick in the 20s. You draft Caleb Swanigan, RIP, but not, I mean, you can't really blame him for missing on Kuzma. Kind of no one really knew what Kuzma was going to be until he popped. But whiffing on that draft, refusing to move off of CJ and then spending that money in 2016, it was, it was doomed from there. I mean, there was nothing that could be done and they were reshuffling the deck chairs and the band played on, on the Titanic and, and they played some great tunes. There was some fun, but deep down, I mean, you knew that it was never going to happen. That 2019, uh, the West, the Western conference finals against golden state, that was fool's gold. Like Houston ended up, uh, you dodged Houston, you get OKC, 
you luck out. Paul George has the shoulder injury. He's kind of struggling. You get that miracle game, you know, that Dame, uh, you know, hits, you know, 50 points, the game winner. You have Denver, who's not quite like Jokic was an animal, but he wasn't quite the Jokic that we see now. Murray, what maybe wasn't quite as playoff, you know, developed, uh, you know, Michael Porter Jr., you know, they still pushed Portland to seven games. Yeah. And, 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 they was needed, a... and they needed CJ in that game seven because yeah. Dame Dame was unavailable. Exactly. Dame, he got, he rolled over on the ball and he hurt his ribs. And it's funny because CJ was actually, if you look up the individual game score, like CJ was actually not great in that series. But in that game seven, he, he and Rodney Hood were the two that made it happen. And then you go up against Golden State. And it was lights out. Like, uh, here's reality. That was cute. You got a nice path to the Western Conference Finals. But I think that Neil O'Shea and the, and the rest of the, you know, the, the organization, they believed, like, were right there. I was looking the other day. 11, I think it's 11 of the 15 guys on that roster aren't even in the NBA anymore, let alone on the Trailblazers. They're not even on an active roster. Like, maybe Rodney Hood gets picked up or something. But that tells you all you need to know. So, with the Damian Lillard era, it's it's what could have happened it's it's a a lot of regret we'll be back with more of the lakers fast break podcast big on america hey guys this is jason dutch with dig on america podcast and i'm here with big hops and i'm also here with Mikey Famine. Big on America here, we explore how American history, policies, and sometimes even our pop culture created the social and political issues facing Americans today. You can check out our website, digonamerica.com. We're on every single audio podcast app there is out there, Pandora, Spotify, etc. Subscribe on YouTube. You can check us out on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash DOA podcast. Hopefully you'll listen to the show, guys. Big on America. So let me ask you this before I send it over to Joe Soro here next, coming up next. Did you guys in Portland, or did Portland give up uh, Damian Lillard? Did they trade him a little bit too late, or was it just right about the same time? Do you think he should have been traded or traded earlier? Because our our one of our members of our chat uh, actually was asking that question, problem child. So I wanted to go ahead and reiterate that, if possible. Yeah, I it again, it sort of depends on how you look at it. You know, if you're talking strictly, you know, numbers, guys as assets, getting max return, you you, you probably maybe wanted to do it uh a little earlier, but ultimately, you know, I mean, look, he's got 3 years and a, and a player option and he's not going to pass up that player option, you know, 37 years old, 60 million bucks. He's taking it. I don't know how much the decline is going to be, but ultimately, look, back, basketball is a business, and I always, I always tell you know my friends, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pretty kind of a geeky guy when it comes to advanced metrics. A lot of my friends are, and I always have to remind them, look, we are outnumbered like a hundred to one, and the vast majority of Blazer fans, it's once or twice a week. Oh, I actually have, I actually have an hour here. I'm going to pop the game on. I'm going to go to three games a year, and I'm wearing my Dame jersey. Those are the people that pay the bills and keep that organization profitable. And Dame Lillard, here in Portland, man, he was a bigger name than the Blazers. As you know, we got to remind ourselves we're Trailblazers fans, not necessarily Dame fans. But I mean, it <laughs> it probably was a little too late to move off of him. But I understand why they kept him. It was a business decision, and he sells sponsorships. I mean, you know, he, he sells Toyotas about an hour south of here. He owns a car dealership. He's a uh, uh, you know, 
that the ads he's all over the tv he's on he's he was you know in a giant mural outside the arena i mean he was he was he meant so much to this city that i think they held on and i i think there was a financial reason for it though once again it is peter sampson please follow him as i just did at peter sampson on twitter he actually already retweeted us out there so we are truly indebted to him for doing so please go ahead and support him today at peter sampson on twitter also here today, good man indeed, it is the guy behind Ox1947 at LakersBall.com. What a beaming smile that is from Joe Soro today. It is Joe Soro from LakersBall and also as well, Simblades, Simblades with a Y.com. Joe, Peter Sampson's here talking the Trailblazers, a team that's had a relatively quiet offseason. Well, I know that you guys have probably elaborated on the trade enough here in the first 20 minutes. I actually do have a question I've been curious to to have answered and it involves the draft uh <clears throat> Gerald and I are big Scoot Henderson fans and we are still surprised that he didn't go number two uh when f- let's say Portland Trailblazer fans were hearing the information coming in before the picks were you guys giddy that Scoot might drop the three because I believe I'll, I'll, that's question one. And then, of course, it'll tail into probably why it made the decision to trade Dame easier by getting Scoot. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely did. We were we were giddy. Uh, it was almost uh, shock that. Uh, but also, I mean, look, were we shocked that Charlotte passed on him? Yes, but. But also, no. I mean, look, I don't I, I don't want to disrespect anyone who came on this wonderful program and talked about the Hornets recently. But, like, you knew they were going to make that move, right? You knew they were. Uh, and I, I, I guess I understand, like, we have LaMelo Ball. He's not only the future, but he's the present. But I just think if you have a talent like Ball and you have a talent like Scoot, you got to find a way to play those guys together. You can make it work. And honestly, I would say the same thing about Portland. It was... Look, we got to find a way to make those let those guys play together. Talent rules all. Figure out the fit later. Like, like we're not good enough to be tinkering around the edges. We were we've tanked two years in a row, and we have the number three pick. We got that pick for a reason. It's because we sucked. Like, just figure it out. And uh, obviously, Dame and his camp not it, that sort of made their decision for them, which I get. But I think the idea was maybe you look to move off of uh, Anthony Simons. I, in fact, I know they were trying to do that. There were no takers, which is why I was surprised that the Heat. Uh, fans were surprised that there were no takers for Tyler Hero, similar players, similar contracts. But uh, I think the writing was on the wall. But man, Scoot, I don't know if you had a chance to watch Blazers Media Day at all. Man, Scoot is, Scoot's the guy. Scoot is camera ready. Some of these guys are shy and maybe a little feeling their way. He's, I'm not, you know, necessarily saying he's going to light the world on fire from day one, but I, I think they got a great one at Scoot Anderson. Great thoughts right there. Magic Man, uh, any thoughts, any continual questions here for Peter Sampson? Uh, well, I just wanted to follow up. I, I agree with Peter from the outside looking in because I, I recently read uh, an article that Slam Magazine had that they did for their uh, rookie um, volume. And uh, I agree with Peter. Like from the outside looking in, he fits the profile. He's a very he's he's more truthful than honest, which is kind of rare for uh, an NBA player. So I I think 
that's actually pretty refreshing for the Blazers. I will say, I'll ask you a straight up question, Peter. Given all the circumstances around this, who's a Blazer longer, Time Lord or DeAndre Ayton? That's a great question. question. Yeah. I'm going to say DeAndre Ayton. I think what's going to happen is uh, Time Lord is going to play well. And, he, and get maybe 20, 25 minutes a game. But I think ultimately he's going to play just well enough to light a fire under eight. And you're going to see he's for real. He's not pouting like he was in Phoenix. And then at that point, man, you think about the value that that dude has for a contender. Uh, he just needs to show he's healthy. Every time he comes back from that knee, he's just a little bit less explosive. But if he's anything like he was in the finals uh, a year and a half ago at this point, huge, huge value. And, and I mean, if I'm wrong, Hey, Time Lord. I mean, I'm good with that. One of the things I want to ask you, though, is also on Scoot Henderson. I had the privilege of seeing him and Victor Wembyama the first time that they met each other here in a suburb of Las Vegas, here where I'm at, in Henderson. Actually, I might be one of the few people that actually has a physical ticket for that game since it was actually digital. So, yeah, so I'm holding on to that baby, waiting to cash in on that. I, or need I say, need I digress? But I don't know if it actually will, but who knows. But when it comes to Scoot Henderson, where do you see him personally? I mean, I mean, with Portland, I know that most of the individuals I've talked to, I've talked to my good friend Rafael Barlow from the NBA Draft Junkies and also what he does for Locked On NBA Draft Podcast. He is a huge Portland Trailblazers fan, and he is excited for what's to come for Scoot Henderson. Your thoughts on what the future could be like for Scoot Henderson? Yeah, uh, certainly a different style game than we're used to with Damian Lillard. Uh, but I do think the one thing they have in common before I get to the differences is I, I just see that sort of intangible leadership. Everyone, Damian Lillard, man, he calm, cool, collected, got guys on his side, uh, yeah. was able to really hold that locker room. I mean, it, look, I'm sad he's gone. You know, I can question the way he handled things. I don't love the way, uh, you know, he may be Miami or bust, but like – He's a real one. That's a real dude right there, and, and he's a good guy. I kind of see that in Scoot Henderson. Uh, but their style of play, I mean, Scoot's a much more prototypical point guard. Uh, clearly, you know, more athletic. Uh, definitely not the deep threat that Dame is. But I'll tell you, from what I've seen, I mean, the jumper, not as not as uh, rough as advertised. I mean, Mid-range, he's really good. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I think he's going to fit a little bit more with Chauncey Billups' play style. I guess I think this is the year where we'll finally see if a Chauncey Billups play style is even a good thing or not. Uh, we, we actually kind of don't know. I have my doubts, but I, I think that we're going to see a lot more of that kind of that classic uh, uh, prime Russ Westbrook sort of drive and dish uh, great court vision that I've seen from Scoot, but I think the key really is, uh, you know, over the course of several years, kind of developing that outside shot. But I think we're going to see, a lot more, uh, a lot more of uh, pushing the tempo. I mean, because it's not just uh, Scoot here. Simons is athletic as all get out. Sharp is insanely athletic, and then you add, you know, uh, DeAndre Ayton, uh, Time Lord. We'll see how the knee is, but he's a huge lob threat. And then you've kind of got Jeremy Grant, who's uh, sort of a jack of all trades except rebounding. Uh, but I think you have a you have a squad that's maybe going to push the tempo a little bit. But uh, I think Scoot's going to excel in that uh, that sort of transition game. Yes, endorphins, Scoot can pass. Uh, if you got a chance to catch that first game against Victor, it was all about him scoring in the first half. But once they've tried to figure him out on the defensive end, 
he became much more of a willing passer and distributed very well. I think he got eight or nine assists in that game, if I remember yeah. correctly. But everybody yeah, Ger- talks about Gerald. the scoring in that first half, but he can distribute as well. Go ahead. Yeah, Tom. his no, I was just gonna say his speed, his speed will allow him to have a lot of DKOs, driving kickouts. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's he'll he will like I think he's a smaller version of SGA if he tops out. He's just a three level scorer and he could be a three level playmaker. Uh, I, I'm just very excited to see him. I saw stardom when I was there, when I watched him personally. And I, I think that Portland's got themselves health willing, of course, a keeper for a long time to come. Uh, Joe, any thoughts for Peter Sampson, my friend? There's a very good chance that this team, um, I don't know, the parts seem to work. This, the You've got the right talent in, in each of the spots that matter, in my opinion. I think Portland should uh, everyone accept their roles i know this is kind of like a cliche for every team but let's just say they do uh even though they're relatively new together i believe that uh portland could be a playoff threat um so get get ready for i I, everyone's been excited about okc and they should uh i think the pelicans are going to drop off uh considerably Uh, but portland's going to at this point i don't know if it's a surprise because they did get back really good talent. But I think if they mesh, which I think they will, uh, they're going to be a playoff team. And I I, I think Portland did a great job uh, getting what they got for for Damian Willard. I I was, I I don't think I was surprised. I think Joe Conan was, uh, he seemed like he knew what he was doing. You could just feel it. And this last trade was just like a damn, okay. (laughs) Like I, I, uh, you know, if you get a player like Time Lord out of, out of that, um, Brogdon, I know, is kind of a hit and miss, but you get an energy guy now with Aiton. Like, like you got the Aiton, you got Williams, let's say front court, then you got Scoot. To me, that's how I, I like that kind of lineup. I like a big, a good power forward that's got energy and then a, a ball handling perimeter player that can break down defenses and and, and, and score and dish. They have, they have the formula. So it's going to come down to obviously – Chauncey Billups, this is kind of like a Chauncey Billups team now. Uh, a team that he won a championship with that was kind of similar to this. So I, I would say that Portland, at this point, uh, you could say might have won the, the offseason a little bit uh, to some. Yeah, I uh, frankly, I think they did. Uh, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, though, because if they're playing well, they're going to pull the plug again at the end of the season. <laughs> like They... That, that pick is owed to Chicago as lottery protected. Uh, they want that to convey into two seconds. Uh, I think it's next year. might be one more it's year. It's a bad no. mentality, though. Uh, yep. nope. I agree. I, I agree. I, I say this because I believe Scoot is John Morant with a brain. And I, 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 hate, to, I hate to throw Jaw down the gutter on this one. I get it. But the, the decision-making that, that he's made the last year is – is warranted. So imagine Scoot being John Morant without the the tomfoolery. It's it's. I'm not trying to put any pressure on on Scoot. I just think he's that talented, and if he is Rookie of the Year, DeAndre Ayton has been there. He's been around winning. He's he's got that. Also, Time Lord's been there too. So that plays a part in that. I don't know. I I think. 
Portland needs to stop worrying about the draft and worrying about dra- uh, draft picks. I think they need to start going after it now because Williams and Aiton are not old guys. And Scoot obviously is coming in as the star. You guys got to start winning now. It's it's time. You guys have had some really bad luck. It started with Bill Walton. Luckily, you guys were able to get him to stay healthy for at least one year. You won a championship that year. Uh, but since then, it's like you guys didn't bring Sabonis in at the right time. I think you guys might have won a championship in the 90s with that. And then, of Great. course, Brandon Roy, one of the, in my opinion, in my lifetime, the, the biggest, like, minus, of course, the deaths of Reggie uh, Lewis and, and, um, and uh, geez, I'm drawing a blank, uh, Celtics, uh, Len Bias. Uh, Brandon Roy's career, who I think could have changed a lot of things for Portland, unfortunately didn't, didn't solidify, but this, this needs to start getting to a point. I know if I'm a Portland fan, this needs, you guys need to start thinking about winning instead of the future. Yeah. The real question that I have, I sort of alluded to it is like, all right, Chauncey Billups has his style of guy. You mentioned it as well. Well, now can the guy actually coach? Uh, we, we got some real questions about that in uh, in Portland. And, and we're not saying maybe, you know, necessarily like, oh, he's clearly a terrible coach. Like there have been some questionable out of timeout sort of stuff. But it's just when you're tanking the way they have the last two years, like it's not his fault. You can't necessarily hold it against him. I mean, I I heard in year one that maybe practices weren't. It, maybe it wasn't as buttoned up as it used to be under Terry Stotts. I don't know if that's changed now, but this is the year where maybe he doesn't have necessarily as many excuses. And I know that sounds insane. You just traded a guy that averaged 30 a game last year, but again, he wants to run and gun. He wants athletes. He wants defenders. I mean, you know, to imagine minutes Matisse Teibel and and Time Lord on the floor at the same time. That's a couple great, great defenders, and especially with with a shot blocking big like that, Teibel. His thing is it's gambling. I mean, I'm sure you've watched it in Philly. He gambles in those passing lanes. If he's got a shot blocker behind him, he can do that. So, if if Billups can't get some sort of results and whether that's winning it's progress, whatever it is, because any young team, you got to learn to win. Right. And I think you're kind of alluding to that where at a certain point, look, you, you can't, intentionally tank it sets bad habits but you got to learn to win it's like oh they're spooky but they still only won 30 games and then it's like oh they're kind of good they made the the playoffs and then they got shell-shocked and then oh they you know they won a series and you you see it all the time with these teams that grow organically milwaukee and and some other groups so i think this is the year where billups he's gotta show something whether it's the playoffs, the play in, whether it's having a pretty good year and then Cronin pulls the plug. And I'm not saying that's right or that's wrong. You know, I, I, I get the argument either way. You get another pick. You, you don't give up your pick. But when don't set some bad habits. But I've got to see something from Billups, no matter what that end result is. You're going to probably see that within probably half the season, because so. looking at what I'm assuming is going to be the starting lineup, it's going to be Aiton, Williams. Uh, Grant, Simons, and Scoot, right? Am I wrong on that? Am I thinking that's what it's going to be? I don't think they're going to start uh, Williams. I think it's going to be Grant at the four, and then it's either going to be Tybal or Sharp at the three. Okay, okay. That makes sense. That might preserve Williams. I think Simons, though, wouldn't he be better fit coming off the bench? That That's, a, again, you, 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 <laughs> yes. you had a, you had a small backcourt for years, and you transitioned to another small backcourt. 100%. But Gerald, but Gerald, 
As much as are you paying a guy twenty five million to hold on? As much as we detest the three guard lineup, what do you think Portland's going to play this year, Gerald? They invest. They invested a lot in Scoot Henderson. They invested a lot in Shane Sharp, and they've invested a lot in Anthony Simons. They're going to have to play those three guys together a lot. A lot. Go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, Joe. It. it, I I guess that if if he can. Channel his Manu Ginobili. Uh, Simon's coming off the bench would greatly enhance the team. I just think he's a gunner. He's a scorer. He's got a score mentality. He's not great on the defensive end, and he's 6'2". You know, those are things that would probably say be best for him to just come off the bench and just be that microwave, you know, you like the microwave used to be. Just come off the bench, get you 20 to 22 a game. Coming off the bench, he'll yeah. win six men of the years left and right if that's the, yeah. if he decides to take one for the team. I, I, I'm that's going to be the tough part for Billups. Uh, you know, the thing is with coaches, it's not so much X's and O's. A lot of times, a lot of times, the the the, the talent will dictate whether you're going to be able to run a cohesive offense or not. But it's it's the Phil Jackson used to talk about it, of course, and I know it's a lot easier for you to, you know, create a, a, a community when you have Michael Jordan, Pippen, Shaq, and Kobe. But I think Chauncey has to somehow let everyone understand that we want to really, truly win. And I really like the Portland team. I, I really do. I think if they might be one big player away in the next few years of really really contending and it's time to get into that we need to contend every year for the next five to ten year mode uh that's that's all that's left in portland it's it's kind of been overdue here and they need to start focusing on 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 that and and get out of this rut of worrying about the future i think that's kind of where it sits and if phillips isn't able to i guess mentally have his team ready game in and game out they're going to have to figure out a way to get the right coach that could coach up Aiden yeah. and, and Scoot. Cause I think those are going to be your two pillars for the next five to 10 years. Cause it sounds uh, I, like, cause it sounds like Chauncey Bill is, is not for you the 100% definitive answer long-term. I, I mean, he, for me, he, he's, he had never coached a game at any level before he got a five-year deal from Neil Olshay. I mean, that's his guy. Chauncey Billups is Neil Olshay's guy. And it's nothing personal against Billups. It's just, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, you couldn't get – I didn't necessarily love, you know, the other options that summer uh, were – and look, Terry Stotts is a – he is a good, good coach. He really is. And I know the knock against Stotts is he can't coach defense, so that's not true. Anytime they've actually had defenders here in Portland, he's had top 10 defense a couple times, oh, even uh, with P- Damian Lillard. P- yeah, Peter, before uh, Nurkic had that compound fracture, uh, he, w- yeah. he, was one of the, he was one of the pretty good hedge centers that we had in the NBA. So, yeah, I agree with you. That's really kind of understated about Stotts, and it's it, – really from casuals who don't really yeah. know what the hell they're talking about but go on but, sir quick aside so Just that everyone yeah <laughs> quick aside that night that uh Nurkic disgustingly broke his leg uh at blazer's edge we do blazer's edge tonight every year and we we literally the community comes together and we we bring 
thousands, thousands of underprivileged kids to see a game because otherwise they'd never be able to afford it. It was that game. And like, I know it, look, it, it's obviously that situation is worse for Yusuf Nurkic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not being insensitive, <laughs> but like it, it had to be that game that would bring a bunch of children to see a grown man snap his leg in half. But I digress. And uh, Terry Stotts, good coach, could coach defense. We don't know. Like Chauncey Billups, and you're right that it's not necessarily X's and O's, but it is a little bit. And I can tell you before they pulled the plug last year, his X's and O's were horrible, 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 horrible. And uh, I believe that he can adjust. I certainly believe he's got a good basketball mind. I know he does. I mean, he's probably forgotten more about basketball than I'll ever know. I just, this is the year we got to see it in action. We got to see it. Hi, this is Mr. Holiday from the podcast, My Worst Holiday, and you're listening to the Lakers Fast Break Podcast. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Uh, so you had watched The Tomorrow War before The Matrix. Yes. You forced me down. I was tied into a chair and I had to watch one thing. I would say The Matrix Resurrections. Really? Funny. Yeah, because of all the cutscenes, I could remember what a good movie was like. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Yes, that's the only reason for the flashbacks, to remind you what a good Matrix movie was. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, it's Peter Sampson. Please go ahead and follow him today on Twitter at Peter Sampson right there for you. One of the things I want to ask, though, is you talk, we talked about what a possible starting lineup can be and the reason why Simons, for many, may be coming off the bench or Robert Williams may be coming off the bench is because of Jeremy Grant, who was given a very lucrative extension, which I think already many in Portland have some buyer's remorse on. This has been called by many, and when I look at it, it is probably in my top three of worst contracts right now in the NBA. I'm not going to say any contract is untradeable because we saw Russell Westbrook here, and if that contract can be traded, I think anything can. Your thoughts, though, when it comes to Jeremy Grant and – is he probably going to be able to still be traded or do you see him as a foundation piece going forward? I look, I, first of all, I like Jeremy Grant. I love what he did last year. Uh, he kind of fell off it. He suffered a concussion and kind of, kind of fell off a little bit, but uh, anytime, you know, a guy can shoot 40% from three, have that length. Uh, he was put in some tough sort of spots defensively he's he's one of those guys he can kind of he's pretty good at everything maybe not elite at anything aside from rebounding he's a terrible terrible rebounder i think we all know that but uh the way billups was having uh you know defenses switch on the perimeter you end up with uh jeremy grant guarding really athletic small guards as not a situation you want to be he can get a hand up he can guard a three and d guy he can guard a three-point shooter but he can't necessarily hedge out and retreat that well he was asked to do a lot of that so i like jeremy grant and i think anytime you know you finally get dame some help and you go hey another dude that averages 20 and shoots 40 percent from three and plays passable defense which we've never seen here in portland that's fantastic but when he signed that deal i don't 
like I I almost laughed. It's like, look, you knew he was going to secure the bag because he had all the leverage because Dame has kind of flirted with asking out a little bit. And I know there was the whole thing during when he was with playing in the Olympics where Henry Abbott had the report and he refuted it. And by the way, I know for a fact that Abbott was correct. I know that for a fact. And then he threw him under the bus, which I didn't love. But it was his way of putting pressure on the organization. And so you kind of knew, look, if you don't re-sign Jeremy Grant, Dame's going to say, screw this, and he's going to walk. Well, it's not like Grant didn't know that. And, and uh, Clutch or CAA, whoever he's with, I think Clutch, he knew that as well. In five years, what was it, 160, I think it was, 5-160? Oh, makes my heart hurt. <laughs> That being said, I guess you got to pay someone, right? You got a lot of guys on rookie deals. I know Ant uh, or Anthony Simons makes, you know, roughly 25. Aiton signed his deal. You still got the room. I, I think they're going to trade him. You're not going to find a, you know, a, a, a partner probably this year, but maybe it doesn't help to have a vet here for one year. But even when you do finally uh, find a way to move off that contract, boy, oh boy, is that a negative asset? Like you might get. You're going to get maybe some terrible expiring back and maybe you got to send a pick with them. I don't know, but I, I certainly don't think he's going to spend the full five years in Portland. Well, that's good thing. You got those extra picks and pick ah. swaps. There you, go. <laughs> there you go. Joe, any uh, thoughts that more for the Portland Trailblazers with Peter Sampson? Well, what would you get for Jeremy? What, what do you think that could, that could bring in? Ooh, nothing, nothing great, but something that expires earlier. I don't know what's left on. Ben Simmons, dead body. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're truly talking something like that. Sorry, I'm shaking my camera here. We're true. We're truly talking a, a, probably a negative asset. I mean, and again, it's one of those things where he he's still a great player. He could absolutely crush it for a contender. But as soon as he he locked up for five years, thirty two. I mean, you made that choice. He's under that deal, so I, I think he's going to be here in the short term. And then he's just going to be a negative asset going out at some point. I, I really do think maybe you have to attach something with that just for an expiring. I agree with you on that. It looks like, you know, speaking from personal experience, again, with Russell Westbrook, it's most likely that you're going to have to. And, you know, at least you have a, uh, at least an abundance or at least more than what most teams have when it comes to extra picks, just to be able to do just that. Sean, any more questions for Peter? I mean, because again, he's been a great guest so far talking the Portland Trailblazers. Any more thoughts, my friend? Yeah, uh, Peter, you had mentioned earlier when uh, when Joe was uh, uh, espousing his uh, his praise for Cronin that uh, the Blazers could potentially be a sleeper playoff team. You had said that no matter if that happens or not, Cronin's going to try and, and and find a way to circulate the drain, so to speak. So they potentially have a lot of flexibility here. They, you're right. They may have Chicago's first round pick. They have their own, and they also in the uh, in the trade with Drew Hall, they acquired the Warriors' top four protected pick in 2024. Do you see them doing anything with that? Because I could see them keeping it. I could see them, like you said, dangling that in maybe a Grant move. Or maybe dangling it to to try and get something else. So I'm wondering what you think they're going to may possibly do with all this flexibility. Yeah, that that's a great question, and that Warriors pick is really intriguing. Certainly, you don't expect it to uh, land in the top four and be protected, but 
you know, draft position, you know, it's based on the regular season, not the playoffs. They're another year older. I mean, Draymond already might miss, what, three weeks, a month with that ankle? Uh, Steph, you know, is still Steph. I mean, we saw it. But, you know, maybe if he misses, you know, just seven, eight games. Uh, Clay, you know, they had a little bit less depth. I mean, who knows? Jonathan Kaminga is such an enigma to me. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he exploded this year. I wouldn't be surprised if he was just nothing. But I think that pick might be a little bit more valuable than people expect. And that's not to say a top 10 or anything like that. I think that pick might be in the teens and it might even be in a year when they still manage to make a really deep run in the playoffs, because when the games actually count, they're going to buckle down and make it happen. So I think it depends on where it lands. If it's in the, you know, in the mid twenties, we'll say, and they've had another great year, you might end up maybe trying to flip it with a, a grant possibly if Brogdon is still here, I don't think he will be. He's going to play with the Blazers, and I think they're going to look to move him to a contender at the deadline. But something like that might happen. They have some flexibility this year, but I think they, they're hell-bent on not letting that pick convey to Chicago. They like it, it has to be in the lottery. Now, I tend to agree that that sets up potentially bad habits and especially a guy like a, maybe a DeAndre Ayton, like some of these guys, you, you can't set these losing patterns, but I just think they're going to do it. I think like they're going to land one more top 10 pick and they're going to maybe pair that with, if you have a golden state, say what I said is true, which we don't know and say that lands at 16. Well then, okay. Say you've got pick nine and 16. We could be happy with that. We could flip that and get a young piece. Maybe we can take both of those and move up to pick six. Joe Cronin has shown, you know, last summer or, you know, last season, a lot of doubts uh, among Trailblazers fans. I think he's shown some creative thinking that we didn't necessarily have with the uh, previous regime. So I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with that flexibility. Awesome, indeed. Once again, it is Peter Sampson. Please go ahead and check out all the great work that he's doing today by starting off with his Twitter. That's at Peter Sampson right there for you. Guys, any last questions on the Portland Trailblazers for Peter, or should we get into hearing his thoughts on our Lakers? Joe or Sean? Peter, how would you say the, uh, like, I remember about 10 years ago, the most hostile environment in the whole NBA was the Rose Garden. Yes, it was. It was, it was the worst place to play in the NBA. Not not because of... For the Lakers, absolutely. For the Lakers. The crowd, the... Uh, like it was almost like a bowl, right? And the crowd was really on top of you. And even before it, like there was a lot of rowdiness. How has it changed? Because now it's called the Moda Center, right? I, I like to just yeah. call it the Rose Garden because what how how has the home crowd advantage changed over the years? That is a great question. And first of all, you're, you are now an honorary Trailblazers fan because you refuse to call it Moda Center. We all just refer to it as the RG, the Rose Garden. Just call it the RG. Uh, we will not call it Moda. It's a terrible name. And the Rose Garden was a great name. It, it, it's just it, it's the city of roses. It was a great arena. Um yeah, and man, back in the day, those Lakers battles. I mean, look, Portland's been irrelevant on the national stage for a couple years now. But I mean, late '90s through the, I mean, the Kobe era, man, it was so. And the Lakers, man, they would win like 63 games. 
but they were 0-2 in Portland. Kobe had a long losing streak, specifically in the RG. So it was awesome, man. The crowd, it's not what it was. And I think it's for a couple reasons. I think, again, the, the arena experience has been sort of corporatized a little bit to match just kind of the NBA-wide experience. I think that's a league-wide thing, not necessarily a Portland-specific thing. Uh, frankly, they haven't been very good. The last couple years, it's, I mean, just swaths of empty seats, but you know, you, you win 30 games, that's going to happen. But even before that, outside of those magic moments, I mean, <laughs> that when Paul George or when Dame hit that shot over Paul George, there was like grown men, like, like bawling in the aisles. I'm not kidding. It, it was, it was amazing. It was so amazing, but on a game to game basis, it's a, it's been a little more subdued and I don't, I know that, you know, a lot of people who've moved to Oregon and Portland over the last 20 years or so, and maybe they don't have that, uh, that long, uh, sort of history with the team, you know, blazer mania in the early nineties and Clyde and Terry Porter and all those guys, you know, the heartbreak of Brandon Roy Aldridge and Odin and just all that that's kind of gone with a, uh, with being a blazers fan. Uh, so it's not bad. It's not dead as long as they're actually trying to win games so the last two years aside but it, it's not like it was man what, whatever you when you experienced it and it was just a madhouse we're not quite there but i think with the turning of the page as painful as it is you know it's like a breakup it's like it's like getting divorced right and it's like i don't even hate you but it's better for us that we just go our separate ways and all our friends have been telling us this for like four years and we're finally going to listen to once you get over that you know i i think blazer fans are ready to fall in love again and if nothing else again just just a different team it's a different era it's going to be different you know, marketing, I think they're going to push the pace there. And there, there's two things you can sell. If you're, if you're an NBA team, you're a marketing exec and a general manager, you either sell winning or you sell hope. Well, there hasn't been much winning, but there's a whole lot of hope to sell. And I think that it's going to get maybe not what it was say 10, 15 years ago, but I think we'll work our way back there starting this year. Well, there you have it. Some great thoughts from Peter Sampson talking about the Portland trailblazers, but as we ask all of our great guests their thoughts on the Los Angeles Lakers. So, Joe, I'm going to start with you. Any Lakers-centric questions for Peter Sampson before we head on out? Is this the year we sweep Portland in Portland? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say you split. I'm going to say you split. I I mean, that sounds about right. I can't – I actually need to look back. When was the last – I wasn't – was it the last time we swept Portland, one of our crap years, about – six seven years ago i think so it was I just it so. was just and i remember that after we beat you the second time it I'm was like, 15 or 16 yeah right yeah, yeah i was like Hi. how the hell does it doesn't happen? even matter yeah, it, it didn't matter more than anything yeah it was just i thought it was hilarious because well, the rose garden has always been a pain in in, in for the lakers their sunday mornings in toronto as, oh. as Magic Man will tell you, those morning uh, games in Toronto kill us. Uh, games back-to-back or when you're flying to Denver, those are almost like guaranteed L's at times for us as far as when we when we face against you guys. So the Rose Garden, I mean, the, the kind of support that you had in the past, I'm certainly hoping that you will have it again in the RG going forward. I'm mad. There you go. Absolutely. That's, what, that's, what, that's what we're going to call it from now on, Peter. You have our word. Yes. 
believe me, we're having still a hard time calling it the crypt <laughs> here at uh, for oh, us. Oh yeah, yeah, that's but tough, man. Magic man, any Lakers centric questions for Peter? Yes. So Peter, what what would you say is the uh, the fatal flaw for the Lakers? Where's their weakest point right now? Oh, I gotta be honest. I I like what you guys. Well, I'm not gonna say I like. Uh, I have to, I have to caveat this with I'm a Trailblazers fan, so you know f the Lakers, blah blah blah. But honestly, <laughs> I your trade deadline last year, and I don't just mean getting off Russ, but Rui Hachimura and Jared Vanderbilt. I I loved that for you guys. I said automatically, like they they have filled a couple, you, you know, just spots of desperate need uh they're a little more resilient around like look lebron's lebron all the respect in the world to lebron james 21st season man like is he gonna play 82 and it's one of those things where anytime you talk about lebron you have to caveat it with i mean it wouldn't surprise me if he does but like really is he going to and you know anthony davis isn't uh when when davis is healthy i mean the lakers are deadly just deadly but can you count on 72 games from ad so i think that's the fatal flaw is just age and health but honestly i i look at your roster i look at austin reeves development i love that austin reeves going from the guy who got clowned on social media for you know getting those looks and the the stuff from lebron james and you look at the way he broke out last year i, I gotta be honest and i say this is a trailblazers guy i i like the lakers makeup this year i really do so I ask you on that note, where do you place both the Portland Trailblazers and the Los Angeles Lakers in the Western Conference this season? Uh, I put the Trailblazers, I'm going to, you know, I know the national, sort, and by national I mean odds makers, uh, since they seem to be more accurate than a, a lot of pundits. I know they have them somewhere around 13th. I'm going to put them at... 12th but i think they play better than that and i think they just pull the ripcord for the last dozen games of the season you get some of those just unwatchable lineups like i've never even heard of this dude and i follow it for a living sort of lineups had a few of those uh looking up some you know guys from europe guys from deep in the g league who average single digits in the g league and oh you're starting an nba game awesome uh i think we get some more of that so i put portland there i think the lakers because of the, the sort of the health questions, I put them sort of middle of the pack in the playoff picture. So I'm thinking, I don't know, you know, AD misses a decent amount of time. Maybe age is starting to catch up to LeBron where he's truly just great instead of transcendent. You know, okay, six, you know, oh, AD's healthy. And LeBron is, he's still found another gear and he still averages a magical What's the LeBron stat line? It's the 27, 7, and 7. He, he puts up another one of those. You know, well, maybe you're talking home court advantage. You know, I still look at Denver in the West. I, I look at some of these teams, you know, but I mean, would it stun me that they've Lakers finished third or fourth? No, it really wouldn't. So somewhere in that range, I know that's kind of a kind of a safe answer, but I just think that the AD health is such a big question for the Lakers. A lot of it comes down to that. But I look at those role players. I, I love the role players that they picked up, especially at the trade deadline last year. Of course, y'all got Cam Reddish, right? I, I watched him up close and personal. He's going to be interesting. He's going to play lights out some nights. But the weird thing about Cam Reddish, you guys all evaluate players. And yes. you, 
whether it's you know for a job or a hobby or whatever you look at these different skill sets and i'm going to pull a name out and i'm not comparing these guys as players but i'm going to use it to make a point mario hazonia okay now cam reddish better than mario hazonia but he's another guy like mario hazonia where you break down these different angles okay speed mario hazonia incredibly fast handles Got great handles, court vision, fantastic, can crash the boards, can box out, understands playmaking, has excellent form. He checks every box, and he sucks at NBA basketball. <laughs> and it makes no sense from Italian evaluation standpoint. Cam Reddish, a lesser, which is to say better, version of that. You watch him play, and you go, how is this guy not averaging 19 points a game. And I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe this is where he finally figures it out. But he'll he'll drive you mad, but he'll have some nights where man, he is the the most entertaining guy on the floor for like a 5 minute stretch, he just balls out of his mind. I hope he puts it together for you guys cuz he seems like a good guy and I mean, obviously it didn't work out in Atlanta, and New York, and I mean in Portland, he kind of showed something, but if he can put it together, he's he's really going to help you guys out. Once again, it's Peter Sampson. Please go ahead and check him out wherever you get your Twitter at Peter Sampson. But there's more to just Peter Sampson than a great Twitter account, which I got a chance to peruse. Peruse some of your previous work. And obviously, I don't want to go ahead and just say exactly what you're doing. Because at every show that we do with a guest, we always give them the platform at the very end of the show to go ahead and let them know let our fans know and let our audience know exactly everything that you're up to and anything you want to go ahead and give a cheap plug to. So bombs away, my friend, cheap plug time. What you got cooking out there and let everybody know. Yeah, I got to be honest, a whole lot of nothing. I just traveled internationally. Uh, but you probably know me if you're a Trailblazers fan from Blazers Edge or from my work at 750thegame.com, which I recently left. I think I'm contractually obligated to say that it was mutual. Uh, and uh, beyond that... You know, you know how that goes. Uh, but I've got something I think might be coming really soon. I don't want to jinx it just just yet, but you we'll might keep our fingers crossed for you, you. You might you might find me back in the Trailblazers locker room very very shortly. So uh, follow me on Twitter, and uh, I'll, I'll take care of you there. I have followed him on Twitter, and so you need to as well. That's Peter Sampson. Please go ahead and check out the great work that he's doing today, right there on Twitter. And we wish you a tremendous amount of success, Peter. Joe and Sean, any last questions for Peter before we head on out? You know, Peter, thank you so much for coming on. appreciate it. And you know what? I hope the future holds well for you. And uh, well. we we need to link up again because if, uh, if you're ever back in that locker room, we'd love to have you on again as a oh, friend man. of the show. Had a great time. I appreciate you guys having me. Thank you, Peter. And once again, Peter Sampson. Go ahead and check out all the great work today by starting with Twitter at Peter Sampson. All right, everyone, that does it. Our final NBA observation for non-Lakers teams. All 29 teams have been done. Team previews for all these teams. YouTube, if you look down below on the Lakers Fast Break channel, I have created a playlist for each and every one of these team previews. So go ahead, check it out. If you missed one, you missed a couple, you can go back and check it all out. Or you can also check it out audio wherever you get your podcasts as well. Truly appreciate the chat room, the best Lakers chat room that's out there, the Lakers Fast Break. And we'll be back right here at the Lakers Fast Break.